Welcome back to Speak Your Peace. I'm Brad Westwood, Senior Public Historian for the Utah Department of Heritage and Arts. Speak Your Peace is something about the past. As it's never truly in the past, it's all around us. It informs us, it speaks to our shared and to our separate identities. What's in store for the future? You can answer these questions sometimes better when you first examine the past. This is what the podcast strives to do for the many diverse, geographically varied communities in Utah. My speaker today is Dr. Thomas G. Alexander, longtime professor of history at Brigham Young University. I think altogether 40 years. That's correct. Tom is the author of 27 books altogether, two of which were published this, this just this year. He has also authored uh, about 170 peer-reviewed articles, which have been published across pretty much every major journal related to Western history, Utah history, and Mormon history. It's my pleasure to speak to him today about his latest book, Brigham Young and the Expansion of the Mormon Faith, which has been published by the uh, University of Oklahoma uh, in Norman. Uh, So with that, I'll say welcome to Speak Your Peace, Tom. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Tom, as I think about all the books that have been written about Brigham Young, and I've listed a few that uh, surprised me. Um, of course, there's the 1877 Edward uh, Tullidge book, Life of Brigham Young, uh, S. Dilworth Young's 1962, Young Brigham Young, um, Newell Bringhurst's book on uh, the LDS Mormon prophet, Leonard J. Arrington's um, 1985 Brigham Young, the American Moses, and then in 2012, John Turner's Brigham Young, Pioneer Prophet. That seems like a pretty good catalog of writings associated with one man's life. I'm still staggered. I'm amazed as I've read through your book just how all these stories of Utah and Mormonism and the Western United States, even national history, all come together, fold into the story of Brigham Young. Why now do we need another biography of this man, Brigham Young? Well, partly it's because Dick Atalane at University of Oklahoma Press asked me to write one for the series, the series of Oklahoma Western biographies. I put Dick off for some time, about five years, and he kept asking me over and over again, And finally, I decided uh, that I ought to do it, uh, that uh, Brigham Young deserved to be in that series. And in addition to this, I've been thinking a great deal and working particularly on the environmental problems that the Latter-day Saints had during the 1850s. And those problems have never been dealt with in a biography. In addition to this, there's been a lot of controversy over a number of different things, including the Utah War. Recent scholarship in the last... Yes, Bill McKinnon has worked on that. And on the Mountain Meadows Massacre, 
Uh, Will Bagley and others have uh, worked on that. Uh, there's been a great deal of work done on the 1850s. And it seemed to me that one of the things that I could do is to synthesize some of this scholarship and put it together in a readable form for a general audience. I would also say, Tom, and tell me if I'm wrong, that, um, you know, each generation, uh, each effort seems to add something else. I mean, really what's been asked in the last 10 years in regards to 19th century history in Brigham Young, you've tried to answer. That's true. I went to the literature that's come out over the last 20 years probably and and maybe more than that uh, to try to uh, deal uh, with the inconsistencies the different points of view and then to indicate where my point of view would stand on those various pieces of work well, that like, have been done i really like the way you describe different writers perspectives and then you give a very careful I think a kind of ministerial kind of history professor, one who spent the last 50 plus years in this reading, in this writing, you, you kind of give your perspective, even as you describe the other people's work. Well, thank you. Yes. Uh, that's what I've tried to do. So, okay. So the next question I want to ask you, Tom has to do with um, uh, the 1850s. You begin uh, chapter two excuse me, chapter six, by saying that the 1850s was a challenging decade for Brigham Young. Um, can you explain in a little more detail what is going on in the 1850s that makes it so stressful and challenging for Brigham Young? Well, you think about the times. In 1850, Utah became a territory. Congress in September of 1850 passed the law, the Organic Act, that created Utah Territory. Almost immediately after that, or at least within a year, various officials began coming to Utah. At first, Utah got along well with them. The Latter-day Saints who'd begun to settle here got along well with them. Uh, but that broke down in September of 1851 uh, when Perry Brockus, who had been appointed an associate justice of the Utah Territorial Supreme Court, spoke in general conference. He said that the federal government couldn't do anything about the problems that the Latter-day Saints had had in Missouri and in Illinois. And he said that if the Latter-day Saints didn't feel right about it, uh, they shouldn't donate a stone uh, for the Washington Monument that was then in construction. And he really raised the ire of the congregation. Uh, Brigham Young called them down, but he said that Brockus was, was either willfully wicked or poorly informed. This on the pulpit after <laughs> on the pulpit after Brockus had uh, had spoken. Uh, what happened frightened 
the territorial officials, and most of them left the uh, territory. Interestingly, uh, this was the one time, perhaps the only time in the 19th century, uh, that the Latter-day Saints won. The administration in Washington D.C. supported the Latter-day Saints in part because of the public relations campaign that Jedediah Grant and Thomas L. Kane worked out in Pennsylvania and writing letters uh, to, to newspapers and writing a, a pamphlet about the uh, situation. The administration then told the officials that they either had to go back to Utah or resign. And Abracus didn't come back. None of the other officials did. And new officials were appointed, uh, some of whom the Latter-day Saints got along well with. Then in 1854, Edward Steptoe, a military officer, a major and, and brevet colonel, came to Utah with about uh, 300 soldiers. Uh, he was to investigate the murder of uh, Lieutenant Gunnison. Gunnison was a part of the Transcontinental Railroad Surveys, and he'd been killed on the Severe River west of current Delta, along with seven in his party, a number of uh, people, including one of the judges and yeah, Gunnison's wife, Martha, said that the Mormons were responsible for that. Gunnison's second-in-command said that uh, after an investigation, the Paiutes had, or excuse me, that the Pavants had murdered Gunnison and his party, and Steptoe came to the same conclusion. But there were some conflicts with Steptoe's soldiers. A, a riot took place in December of uh, 1854 on Christmas Day in Salt Lake City between the uh, soldiers and local citizens and, and wasn't there a, a, a good amount of uh, not a, a lot of local women uh, were interacting yeah. with the soldiers yes a couple of the uh, soldiers a couple of the officers uh, convinced several of the mormon women uh, to come with them to uh, california and uh, this upset uh, Brigham Young. You know, I stop as I think of this, and I want to continue to have you answer the question, but it's stunning how often we have this presentism, this sense that what we think and how we feel today is just as perhaps people did in the past. In 18, in the, in the 18th, um, um, let's see, this would have been 55, 56. 55 when they left, yes. Um, frame up how uh, women are understood legally. Oh, legally in the 19th century, in Utah until 18, the 1870s, when Utah uh, passed a, a law giving women rights, uh, when women were married, they essentially lost 
their identity. It was incorporated in the identity of the husband, and they became chattel property of their husband. Uh, if a woman died, she got a third of her husband's estate, but very little else, and had to take care of uh, her, herself if, if the husband died. So it was a much different situation with regard to women's rights than, uh, than today. And in, in a sense, Brigham Young and the Latter-day Saint men were convinced that what the soldiers were doing was taking their property from them. That's a much different point of view than we would have today about the, the role of women in society. Particularly now as we look at uh, 2020 and uh, the, the amendments that make uh, complete equality and as we strive to make that part of our, uh, really, the way we think and behave today, I think that's why it's so fascinating when we make deep dives into history. Well, so Brigham Young, 1850, Steptoe and company uh, antagonized these people. Uh, here's another uh, federal appointee. Um, what the then? Well, the one thing about this, though, is that Steptoe realized uh, that Brigham Young was going to be governor no matter what happened. The uh, president appointed Steptoe as governor of Utah, but he refused to accept the appointment because he knew what would happen. He knew that Brigham Young was going to be the governor of the people no matter what took place. And Brigham Young continued to serve then, even though his term was supposed to be up in 1856. Uh, he continued to, uh, to serve into the Buchanan administration uh, after Buchanan was uh, elected Buchanan. in uh, 1856 as president. Well, the next thing, of course, all of the conflicts with uh, federal appointees, uh, there were conflicts uh, with uh, the uh, judge Drummond, William W. Drummond, uh, conflicts with Garland Hurt, the uh, Indian agent who worked closely with Brigham Young in setting up an Indian farm in uh, Spanish Fork with the superintendent of uh, surveys, the surveyor general for uh, Utah, and with other federal officials. All of them have sent letters back to Washington complaining about the Mormons. Uh, some of the things were uh, true. Other things were fabrications. Uh, much of what Truman had to say was fabricated. Uh, he said that the Mormons had destroyed the documents of the federal judges in Utah, the official uh, territorial judicial records. Which were found later after they the Utah They were expedition. found. Uh, the uh, clerk of the court had actually kept them. Uh, they weren't destroyed. He made other uh, charges about the uh, conditions. He said that uh, the Mormons had uh, killed Gunnison, and there were a number of other charges. And, that and, when, made. and when you think of the lack of communication, I mean, the idea that one takes uh, five, six weeks to get from one end of the 
coast to the other and uh, things are going by wagon train and uh, there's a, a, a post, but that takes weeks. Uh, these kind of ideas can float pretty strong and high for a long time. Uh, some of the most serious charges were made by David Burr, the surveyor general. The Mormons were controlling the land. They uh, regulated water resources. They regulated timber resources. Uh, they regulated grazing uh, resources. Burr was conducting surveys or his deputies were conducting surveys. Those surveys were fraudulent. Uh, some of them clearly never happened. They must have taken place in a bar or something like that rather than on the ground. Well, and they presented their uh, uh, survey drawings and so on, but as I understand, some of them were made entirely out of whole cloth without any association with the landscape. That's uh, absolutely true. Two surveyors general came after the Utah War and they investigated uh, these surveys and found that uh, there were all kinds of problems with it. Now, this is extremely serious uh, because if the, the surveys are fraudulent, then uh, people that are buying the uh, property can't actually know what they own. Well, in this case, Brigham Young is is constantly seeking some sort of stable title to all this. They're still squatters. That's right. Until 1869, uh, the Latter-day Saints were uh, still legally squatters on the public land. They petitioned the federal government over and over again during this period to extend the land laws over Utah, and Congress didn't do it. They finally had to do it by passing a law in 1868 because the railroads needed to get their land grants. They didn't care whether the Mormons had the land or not, whether they had titles to the land. What they were concerned about was that the railroads get their land grants, and so they passed a law extending the land law over Utah. And that was checkerboard uh, property that extended from California to Nebraska had to have stable title. Forget what whatever the Mormons might want. Yeah, that's right. The, the railroads got all of the odd sections of railroad on 10, 10 miles on each side of the railroad line. And they had to get titles to that land. So as I think about um, uh, Brigham Young, um, I think if we go 30,000 feet above, Tom, and I think about this notion of republicanism, and uh, could you speak a little bit about Brigham Young's worldview associated with what does it mean to be uh, an American, to be a you know, Republican, aspiring to Republican virtues and ideas and the theocratic one in which he held. The thing that's interesting about Brigham Young's views is that he was convinced that theocracy and republicanism were the same thing. And I use the term republicanism not as it relates to the Republican Party, but the idea that the United States was a republic and it is a republic. Uh, he thought that a theocracy would look about the same 
as a republic, and he saw nothing wrong with operating Utah as a theocracy within the American Republic. Well, of course, that didn't set very well with people in Washington or with any Americans who were antagonistic toward the the Mormons. Uh, There are a number of people who've looked at the relationship between Utah and the rest of the United States. And uh, some of them have argued that Mormons were the most hated large organization in the United States during the 19th century. Well, uh, I I also think uh, if if one were to frame up a 17th or 18th century idea of, uh, uh, you know, a New England town and a a Protestant church, but really by the second quarter of the 19th century, America had really... clearly developed this sense of republicanism as being capitalistic and individualistic and uh, pursuing your own interests. And here's this group that's captured or at least uh, inhabiting a large piece of America in the West. And they're saying, we're going to create a theocratic arrangement. Now, albeit we're going to pursue statehood. And sometimes this idea is that we wanted to create some separate nation out here. I, I think Clearly, after uh, the the, uh, uh, Guadalupe Hidalgo Treaty and we became truly American and we knew this whole nation was going to be swept up one way or another to become part of the United States, I think Mormons started to work in earnest to become, to get statehood. Yeah, they actually sent in uh, seven petitions uh, to try to become states between 1852 and 18. 95 when they finally when congress finally passed a law saying that uh, utah could become a state so tom as we uh, just stop for a moment and say you're listening to speak your piece my uh, uh, my guest today is dr tom alexander uh, i'm brad westwood senior public historian for the utah department of heritage and arts and uh, we thank you for listening today 